This is the Secrets We Share podcast, a show about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and the left and rights of mental health care in Australia. Here's your host, Francis Carlton. Welcome to Secrets We Share, a podcast by Secret Keeper Counselling. As usual, there'll be laughter, there'll be tears, there'll be triggers, there may be some profanity, although we are with a professional, so she might keep it clean for us today. And I would just like to welcome Mel. She's going to share some secrets with us today. Welcome, Mel. Thank you, Francis. So tell me, Mel, how did you get into being the CEO of the Conflict Resolution Service in the ACT? Uh, well, if I go back... Um, you- to my earlier career, I actually started um, with an education degree because I thought, oh, I'll be a teacher. Um, however, I started like most people that want to do education in childcare and worked a lot with um, families that were referred through child protection um, and just decided that I wasn't going to be a teacher and I absolutely hand it to those people <laughs> that are teachers. Um, so it was a lot of situational experiences that sort of happened that led me here to today. So I've had a a great career in um, working in um, foster care systems and in programs that really work towards um, trying to make um, a better life for for vulnerable people. Um, And I guess for me, I just really felt that um, there's so much generational cycles of vulnerability that um, you can throw all the money in the world at it but unless you're going to work on a prevention model um, then that's the only way that we're going to be able to um, make a better world really so what does a prevention model look like uh, so my passion is really about early intervention so I believe in um, providing um, services um, and a wraparound approach for all people, no matter whether you, you're working and, and highly educated or whether you, your life experiences haven't afforded you that opportunity, but if you wrap around services to make um, people, um, to build their resilience and to be strong community members, then the, the, imp- the long-term impact um, on society is um, really positive. Uh, so how I got into this was, you know, I had done a lot of the the work in in that area earlier. Then I was given um, some opportunities where I was looking at changing business models. um, And I really enjoyed that aspect. And I was caught in between then of I really believe in early intervention, but I love um, the the business Mm. side of things. And um, when this, the CEO role came up here, I was like, wow, what a perfect fit of Mm. everything that I love, put together. So the perfect storm of business and prevention. Absolutely, yeah. So earlier on you mentioned that you'd worked in foster, in foster care. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit more about how the foster care system works in Australia? Yeah, listen, I think, um, you know, there is lots of stats out there to say that there is an over- overwhelming amount of children in out-of-home care um, and the, 
the amount of children in out-of-home care compared to the number of foster carers that are out there is... So, can I just clarify, mm. out-of-home care means in, in, in with other people, not with their parents? Not with their birth parents. Um, and that out-of-home care can encompass people that are um, kinship carers, that are looking, the grandparents looking after children, or whether it's foster care or where, whether we're looking at residential care. There's a, a number of things that encompass that. Mm. Um, and I think it... Being in that area, I really highlighted that more needs to be done mm. around supporting families to be successful in life. Um, and there's lots of reasons why people get to a point where they, they aren't able to um, look after their children. And a lot of that can be whether that's financial struggles or whether that's been um, generational trauma that has happened. Um, and so it's, it was a really um, great time and a really um, sad time mm. as well. Can you, can you sort of, I'm just wondering, the, the sad times you mentioned, can you remember a particular or number of stories without obviously giving away any confidential information? I think the saddest stories are around the um, the trauma that people experience, um, and those that have experienced trauma uh, and then become parents themselves, and then um, they just don't have the skills. Um, but there's a real want to make a, a different life, um, and that's um, when there's a lack of support services out there. Um, it makes it very hard for people to get back onto the right trajectory. Um, and I guess where where the sadness comes in is that trauma then, you know, the, the mental health concerns that come from there. And it's this roll-on effect of things that happen to people's life circumstances and they just get on this, this roller coaster and they can't get off it. Mm. Um, and I guess that's where the, the biggest sadness comes from. So then the support that the community provides whether it's their own community or whether it's the community, you know, wider community, yeah. is obviously really important for those people to, absolutely. Be able to break that cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a community responsibility. It's not just a government responsibility. It's it's everyone's responsible to ensure that your, your neighbours, your family, your friends are are there to support people when they're at the most vulnerable. Mm. It's funny you say that. I'm, I'm I I have I have somebody that I'm working with at the moment mm. who would probably fit quite closely to what you're talking about mm. and I'm sort of in a process of trying to find help mm. um, beyond me um, yeah. and the, I find that the services that are available are really really limited in so much as you know if they go to one service they need to have been dry for eight weeks if they go to another service then they need to be stable mm -hmm. if they go to another service then they need to be able to you know drop drop everything at the moment's notice because they never know if somebody's going to be available and the thing is if you have somebody who's in crisis they're not able to be dry for mm -hmm. eight weeks prior they're not able to be stable because they are actually they need to be in that place in order to get stable yeah. and be on the right drug regime and things like that it's mm. it's i find it um i find it quite frustrating yeah because it yeah. it seems to it seems to go against the the purpose of what some of these services mm. may be doing and i was also quite surprised at how few actually have psychiatry services on site yeah yeah so the medication is not mm. able to be 
diagnosed yeah. except by a doctor who isn't a specialist mm. in mental health. I think that just shows a clear um, a clear depiction of the issue mm. that there are services but all services are so stretched and so mm. there needs to be these these levels of access and um, and suitability to fit into programs because there is such a need and just not enough out there mm. for people so mm. listen we um, we're exactly the same here so like our family support program um, works with it's an early intervention model um, that works with um, young people and their families from the age of eight mm. um, that are experiencing uh, family conflict to reduce um, the risk of homelessness. Mm. Now, we have a huge percentage of young people that are under the age of 16 that mm. are at risk of homelessness because of family conflict. So when we work with these families, it's similar to what you were saying, we, we identify that there's actually other support services that are needed, mm. um, but it's very, one, there's um, people don't have the financial means to access mm. these services, which Absolutely. is a hindrance. Two, there's huge waiting lists or there's requirements like you were just talking about then. Mm. And we sit here and go, wow, if, if we could just get this family, this service, this service and this service, and with us, you know, the, the period of trauma that they're in right now would, would alleviate mm. and they will be really successful community members. Mm. But when people are in a high crisis situation um, and they can't access that, that mm. it, it is a long-term impact that, that mm. there is on the community. Well, they just don't have the capability of even calling somebody to say help, yeah. especially yeah. if they've been let down repeatedly by... That's by, right. other, by other sort of professionals that are providing these services. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen clients who are like, no, I don't want to go to, uh, I don't want to get a mental health care plan because mm. I've seen psychologists before and they didn't get me because of this yeah. particular issue. So my listeners will know that mm. I'm a sexual health um, and trauma um, recovery uh, yeah. therapist, but I deal a lot with um, LGBTI, a lot mm -hmm. with um kink and polyamory and things like that mm. so a lot of a lot of my clients who are in high crisis um they actually are in that, that lifestyle because of that intergenerational trauma that you're talking about yeah because it's their way of controlling that, yeah. that trauma but they don't want to go and see a psychologist because they don't want to be judged for living a lifestyle that the, 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 yeah. the, the therapist doesn't understand. Yeah. You know, we'll just stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. No, it doesn't work like <laughs> doesn't that. Work like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah but so, you know, they don't want to go because they don't want to be judged. That's right. There's a lot of shame. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. we find that here as well. People go, oh, no, I, if they've been referred to the service, oh, no, I don't need a community service. No, no, no. I, what will people think mm. or and which is really sad that there's still that stigma out there because mm. every one of us need help at some point yeah so the yeah. stigma of use of accessing a community service yeah. such as this yeah or something else is is quite remarkable it it's, is it's a little bit like these um these community pantries and things like that mm. that are available to people yeah. that people don't want to use those because oh i can afford to go shopping at the supermarket yeah. i don't want to go to a community pantry. That's it. Whereas a lot of the people that really need the community pantry are really, um, you know, they're working, but the cost of living, especially here in Canberra, mm. um, you know, they could really use with going to a community mm. pantry, but the 
what if someone saw them or something like that it's it's actually quite sad but yeah. it's also sometimes the accessibility of services too yeah. so getting get, getting the getting the word out there I, I, mm. I recently referred somebody to you actually oh good because <laughs> um, they were talking about going through a separation with their partner their mm. communication had broken down they were trying to do everything yeah. through lawyers which of course yeah. was costing a fortune mm. and I said well what about the the, the conflict resolution service yeah. oh but we're not in conflict yeah well <laughs> yes you are yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Because yeah. you're not talking and you're doing yeah. everything through lawyers. Yeah. And then I gave them your leaflet that um, outlines the costs involved. Mm. And she was like, oh, yes, this is a much better option. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, as, a, yeah. you know, as a community service, it's just yeah. so, yeah, so, she, so you might hear from her. Yeah. <laughs> See, family dispute resolution is a very interesting area. Mm. Um, mm. And so the, the court, the family court actually does mandate that. Um, people who unfortunately are separating mm. um, actually need to seek mediation services before they can actually um, attend the court. And so a lot of the time, um, like what we're trying to say is have choice. Like mm. by coming to mediation, you get, especially when young children are involved, you mm. you guys as the parents of these children, um, you guys make the decisions. Mm. And, and if there has been high conflict and communication has broken down that's what mediators are there to bring you back mm. on track mm. um, to talk about your children but um, you know when when unfortunately they do go into the court system and sometimes it has there, there is a need and you know for sure there's times that we end up referring people um, to a solicitor because that is going to be the best option for mm. them um, so but if people can sort it out um, and and have a conversation um, it has much better outcomes, but you can put that through to anything. So, you know, that's family dispute. Neighbourhood disputes are like, a, they're, they're our biggest oh, part of our me. business. <laughs> yeah. And it all comes down why. to communication. That's right. You don't know why. Try to be yeah. nice. <laughs> Just doesn't respond. And what's funny yeah. is your if I had a conversation with your neighbour, she would probably exactly say, the same thing. well, she would say she knows why I'm cranky with her. Yeah, but, yeah, and that's absolutely. what happens. Yeah. And we go, yeah. they actually don't know why. <laughs> you need to have a conversation. Um, and that's try. what it comes down to. So I to. am a therapist, so I have tried in a very sort of like, you know, yeah, I've tried to be, I've tried to, uh, I've tried mm. to reconcile, but just not interested. Yeah. And I think um, just reading mm. between the lines, I think the reason is because, uh, yeah, she's just, she's just not a very happy person. Yeah. And, you know, you, you can reach out as much as you can to some mm. people and sometimes they just don't want to know. And that's exactly right. Yeah. Everyone is different. Everyone so has their own... get on with it now. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And I think, you know, your, your own safety is the most important part in yeah. any interaction with anybody, whether it's a workplace, your neighbour, your children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and sometimes it doesn't work mm. and, and you can't get through to everyone, mm. but... Um, there is a lot to be said about having conversations oh, and, absolutely. you know, that non-violent communication. So, well, yeah. I mean, it's the core of my business is, exactly. is teaching people how to have conversations yeah. when, you know, they're saying, oh, I say such and such to my partner, he doesn't get it. I'm mm. like, well, have you told him? Yeah. <laughs> have you told it. him that you don't want him to solve your problem for you? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's just about rephrasing the, the, <laughs> the question, <laughs> but saying exactly the same thing. <laughs> in a nicer way <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah. it's a lot of um it's it's a lot of fun but um mm. so you mentioned you mentioned earlier on that you that you actually worked in the foster care system mm. 
and that led to you being being where you are now. Mm. Um, how did you go from being in the teaching or being in teaching, mm-hmm. being interested in teaching, mm. to working in the foster care system? Uh, so I didn't work in it for very long. Um, yeah. I will say that, but um, <laughs> a lot of. Um, where it comes from. So it was actually a, quite a well-rounded approach because when I was um, in childcare and managing childcare centres and a, um, a couple of the centres that I managed were direct referrals for child protection, so um, taking children at risk um, and um, putting in care plans and support around that. Um, and I just, it just comes back to, I think, the one, it's opportunities and you, you sort of take an opportunity and go, oh, I really like Mm. What I'm doing right now, I don't really want to go in, into yeah. teaching. Um, and I guess also at the same time as this happening, I had my own children. I was like, this suits, this career life at the moment really suits where I am with, mm. with young children. They're now teenagers. But, um, and now I sometimes go, oh, maybe I should have been doing teaching, you know, mm. a bit more school holidays and so <laughs> forth. But I'm very much about seizing opportunities. And if I, I have to really enjoy something to do it. Mm. Um, so I'm very much about... Um, work satisfaction and and wanting to actually make a difference um, and I'm sure I you know there's so many teachers out there that make a difference every day but that's just the area that mm. I, I went into and mm. um, yeah it just comes back to that early intervention like and I think about some of those children that we did have in our centres and some of the trauma background that they had and you know as, as you know trauma happens in utero and, and yeah. um, I just think there's in that in that young age, we had so much more opportunity to try and um, we were never going to correct mm. the experiences that they had, but we could certainly offer new experiences to try and make a, a more successful life for them. And I just, I really enjoyed that. And those yeah. positive experiences can have such a huge impact with the tiniest of action. That's right. And that's exactly right. And if you, yeah. especially at a young age, around attachment and and that sense of belonging, and mm. um, yeah, it's very different to the, you know the, the young people that we work with now who are thirteen and fourteen, and it's a, a different type of attachment and belonging that they're looking for. So you mentioned attachment there. Can you mm. can you explain a little bit because it's not something that we've actually spoken about in this oh, podcast okay. before. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it's something that comes up a lot in the um, in in the world that we work that we work in. Yeah. What what do you mean by attachment? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Throw that one yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> right, I, I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could probably speak better <laughs> to this than I can. Uh, so attachment around, um, like if you look at attachment theory and people, um, you know, if, if you look at a newborn um, and and if you look at people's needs of what people need. So a, a newborn's needs is to be comforted and held and feel secure and um, that they've got food and, and, and warmth and, and, and that changes as, as time goes by. Um, you know, and I've certainly got teenagers and attachment with my 14-year-old is very mm. different and I think as a mother you crave that attachment as your age, as your mm. child gets older and they're well, they trying to pull to away. <laughs> yes. They start to widen their circle and you're going, no, yeah. I want it to be small still. Yeah, that's exactly 
exactly it. So it, it, it's about a sense of belonging and, and, and secure and, and feeling and feeling safe. And, mm. you know, I'm going to probably gonna chuck this out here and you might go, oh, explain that a little bit more. <laughs> but if you look at the neuron connectors and, and it goes back to when um, I said before around trauma happening in utero and when the brain connectors and when something happens mm. and the connector stops there. But with attachment... Um, in a newborn, you can try and re-correct those, those mm. neurons and, um, you know, mm. hopefully <laughs> makes a difference. <laughs> I, think, I think it's um, it's interesting. I see quite a lot of adults with attachment disorders mm. coming in and when you hear their stories um, of childhood, yeah. of being, you know, only being rewarded for things when they've achieved well and, you yeah. know, and that drives them even as adults to mm. you know they have to be the best at everything because if they're not and then mm. they have this huge sort of like um, investment to be the best the best the best the best but of mm. course once they get out into the world they realize that they're not actually the best yep. at everything and mm. they can't always get an A and mm. not everything has to be a goal it yeah. can be it can it can be really hard for them and re rewiring that and sort of learning yeah. that you know it's okay to just be yeah <laughs> you know yeah. you don't have to seek the approval of this mm. parent figure like yeah. all the time yeah and you know if they're driving you absolutely crazy it's okay to tell them to go away yeah leave you alone and not just pop in whenever they want to yeah you can say i need you to ring first yeah you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're married and you've got your own family yeah you're not you, you know it's, it's <laughs> yeah it's um yeah, it's a it's a fast attachment is a is absolutely mm. is is fascinating and how yeah. you know just by you know having having a having a child that hasn't received love and that's what I'm going to say. <clears throat> there's the other type of attachment that mm. is a negative mm. and the absolutely. mental health that concerns that happen from there mm. as an adult as well. Was it um, in the in the late eighties in the orphanages in uh, was it Romania? Where they found the orphan, the children that had not had any human contact except mm. to be given food. Yes, and I don't. Yeah. And all the problems that they found with those children because they hadn't had anything to yeah. attach to. Yeah. They actually weren't able to even really have conversations no. or look, get eye contact with somebody or or relationships. Or relationships or, yeah. Or they had no. They yeah. had no idea. Yeah. Mm. And that's why, you know, everyone says, you know, the first five years, first eight years, there's so much learning that happens there. And, mm. and if you have neg negative experiences like that, then it's a lot of work, mm. which is, you know, why you're in your job that's that you're in, <laughs> to, um, to overcorrect it. Overcorrect's not the right word. But, but to correct yeah, it. Yeah, to correct it. Mm. Or even to give them a different sense of, of what life can be like. That's it, yeah. Mm. I think yeah. the hardest thing um, here is that, you know, people who experience this trauma early in life, it's their ability to have relationships and what yeah. relationships look like later yeah. in life. If they've come from a background where they've experienced... Um, no, you know, very, very, very little love or no love or mm. uh, punitive punishment of, you know, you, you haven't done this, so I'm going to take this away from you. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm going to withhold my love from you because you didn't get an A in your test. Yeah. That absolutely informs how they expect their partners to be. Absolutely, later in yeah. Because a lot of people, also, not a lot, I'm not going to generalize here, mm. but you know, people who have experienced um, trauma like that or mm. experiences like that don't often realize in that situation that that is that anyone gets treated any differently. Mm. They mm. think that's what 
um, life is and it, we talk to some people who have been through family violence and they just um, a little bit different now because there's so much awareness and, and education but previous to that people were thinking oh I thought this is how every relationship was I didn't realize that this wasn't okay mm, this is normal yeah, that, this, yeah. is, this is what everybody experiences yeah. as a child yeah yeah I've had mm. um, I've had I've had people coming in saying you know that they've experienced this in their childhood with their parents and their siblings and all those sorts of things and then I've had people and they go but you know I'm in this relationship and I actually he, he loves me and I don't know what to do with that yeah like he actually wants to help me and do things for me and when I see him with his parents I look at it and I go what is this mm. Like this is this is not normal. No, it's foreign to them because yeah. it is completely foreign to them because of the experiences that they've had mm. in the childhood, and they have had that conflict, but they haven't necessarily had somebody to to help them understand that this yeah. is what's happened. And those relationships, you know, those that survive are mm. amazing. Yeah, but quite often they don't survive because no. they just can't get their head around it. Yeah. And the conflicting, especially when you bring um, children in, into the mix in that situation, mm. the conflicting views that happen and then that creates its own conflict mm. there as well because there needs to be an understanding of the other person to know that mm. they're really struggling with the love that's here right now or mm. the way that you're, you're doing things with children because it is foreign to them and they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. yeah. So you're right, those that do survive is... Uh, that's a lot of hard work that's gone into that. Um, mm. But also, you know, and we see, you know, especially without, you know, for people that come to mediation with us, there has to be goodwill on all sides. Mm. And in that situation, people have to really have a want mm. to be open to change, yeah. to be open to be educated, so to be open to get help. desire to change absolutely yeah. needs to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Wow. It's... it's um, the work that you do. So, what? So, can you just tell me a little bit mm. about some of the services that you provide? Yeah. So, you provide to the ACT only. Yes, ACT and, and Southern Region. Yes. So, um, and so our main core business is mediation. Yes. And we're a mediation service. Um, however, as with anything, there's lots of different um, streams that come from that. So we have, um, and we sort of have two areas. We have a um, government side of things because we are a not-for-profit yep. and then we also have a fee-for-service side mm. um, and we have to have both to be um, you know a stable organization mm. uh, so our government-funded services um, work with um, so people in um, as I said before the family support program around mm. young people at risk of homelessness due to family conflict um, they also support us to support those that um, are in housing complexes and, and the mm. conflict that can happen yes. in there. Um, neighbourhood disputes, which is um, a big part of our business. Mm. Um, and referrals through SupportLink. Um, so for those that don't know, SupportLink um, are the referral base for the AFP when they've had to attend so things on weekends. Federal Police. Yeah. Yep. When there's been situations that have happened on a weekend, um, which aren't really a police matter, but something does need to be... Um, Assorted, and it's about mm. getting services around people. So yep. we take referrals from them. Mm. Um, One Link, which um, is actually um, managed by Woden Community Services, but works with uh, people who are homeless. Yep. 
um, and need support referral places to go to um, and the magistrates court. Um, and so there's a lot of matters that do attend court because people just aren't aware of what other options there may be. Um, mm. And, you know, the court systems do um, fill up. Mm. And so mm. a lot of the time, if there's a personal protection order placed on somebody, they will refer through to us for mediation to sort out the matter instead of um, right, in a court okay. situation. So that's our funded side. Yes. <laughs> and then we have, um, so on the other side, we have our family dispute um, area. We also do workplace mediations, commercial mediations. Um, we do restorative practice. Mm. Um, so we, and that's actually a funded program by the government as well. Um, What's restorative practice? So restorative practice, so restorative conferencing. So the Attorney General is um, very keen on Canberra being a restorative city. Um, restorative really looks at, um, it's a really good early intervention model in getting people, having people having the opportunity that if there's a situation that has happened mm. and where someone has been offended against or someone's made someone feel unsafe or hurt, that both parties have an opportunity to hear each other. And research does show that people who, and you know this in your area, that when people have an opportunity to tell someone how what what has been done to them has impacted them, mm. the healing process happens um, mm. not a lot quicker or anything like that. But it is um, it does. Um, what word am I looking for here? Um, Speeds up. Yeah, it it makes the healing process. Um, mm. more efficient and more positive for somebody. Mm. And for that person that has offended against the other person, mm. research actually does also show that they that it's less likely that they will re-offend again because mm. they're actually hearing from someone how much you've hurt them. Mm. Um, mm. And so we, and that can be in lots of different forms. So there's um, restorative conferencing that can happen between um, two people, can happen because there's been... Um, an offence around, so um, someone um, in the, the redress um, scheme, we've had a lot of people go, I actually want the opportunity to tell them how I feel and the impact this has had on my life instead of it being in a, you know, a so court the, system. The, to the redress scheme, you're talking about the um, the commission into sexual yeah. abuse and institutional abuse. Yes, mm. yeah. So when people, and it is a process that people need to be ready mm. um, and... Um, there's a lot of healing that goes on before people get to that process. Mm. But then a restorative approach could be a big group of people where there's just been such mm. high conflict, um, lots of different things have happened and people just want to stand up and go, I'm really upset mm. that this happened. Mm. Um, so there's lots of different things. Um, so I know that when um, mm. after, the, uh, after Uganda, um, about 10 years after that all went, they actually did a, rest a restorative thing where... Mm the victims were able to actually talk to the soldiers who had, yeah. who had you know, killed multiple members of their families and extended wow. communities and and the, 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 the difference that it made and it actually meant that those soldiers were actually then afterwards were actually quite often welcomed back into the community yeah. without that sort of, that fear of judgment and fear mm. because they had been able to say exactly what they felt and what they wanted to say yeah but also the soldiers who had sort of been press ganged into being on that side were also able to say well 
I actually didn't want to do it, but I was doing it because it was the only way to save my own life and the life of my family. Yeah. So it was, it's all right. It's, um, it's actually really qu quite a remarkable process to yeah. be able to do that. And of course, in Uganda, hundreds of thousands of people were murdered for the regime. So yeah. It's to be, to be welcomed back into a community where you've sort of, you know, killed 50% of it as a soldier. Yeah. And then just be welcomed back in is just phenomenal. It is, yeah. Like the, the, the forgiveness is an experience, for both yeah. Sides. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah. One of my um, one of my lecturers at uni was mm. actually part of the um, part of the team that went over to Uganda and taught, oh, wow. taught them how to do the process. Wow. So actually a trauma therapist actually yeah. taught them how to how to actually go through that process for restorative justice. Wow. Over there. Yeah. Yeah. It's so a hugely, yeah hugely powerful process. Mm. And it's a process that can be implemented everywhere. In work, workplaces are a great mm. place for a restorative approach. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so we're doing a lot of work in that area. We're actually all becoming accredited restorative practitioners. So there's been a lot oh, of training, wow. but we're going to be, become accredited in November. Um, and what we'd really like to see happen there is um, working with schools on restorative mm. conferencing, especially when it comes to bullying. Mm. Um, in a school um, and also conflict that does happen between teachers and parents and young people because that is such a whirlwind that happens there when you've got teachers, parents and, and mm. children or young people that mm. are all involved in a conflict. Mm. Um, do you ever get so, um, school soccer teams and like soccer teams and things like that? We do, yeah. And we do get um, a number of um, what we say sort of like community volunteer organisations mm. um, that that do come through the program and, and a lot of that is around everyone has it all starts off and it still continues to be with good intentions and everyone's got a really good heart because as a volunteer you've got a really heart, good heart to, to yeah. want there. But You want to help. You want to help. But <laughs> but you want to help in your way. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and especially in an organisation where there is no paid employees, it's very hard to, yeah. um, you know. I'm a member of one organisation mm. that you uh, have recently been involved with. So. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm aware of, I chose not to attend the meeting. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe talk about yeah 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 so yeah yes you do you do do some absolutely amazing work yeah we we do yeah so what uh, just as sort of in closing mm. what uh, what do you see as the future of mental health in australia oh that's a very big <laughs> loaded question um <laughs> um I, I, I'm not sure we have even, as a nation, really scratched the area yet mm. um, because mental health, there's there's so many different elements mm. as to how um, someone suffers um, mm. with mental health issues, um, and I say that really respectfully. Mm. Um, but I think they need, as long as the conversation continues to occur... Um, you know, you've got to hand it to advocacy groups. You really do to mm. um, keep pressing on the issue. Mm. And there needs to be um, the correlation between mental health and um, child people ending up in child protection or, or workplace disputes in everything. Mm. Um, it all has a connection. And mm. so, um, yeah, I think 
being aware, having an understanding um, and not letting the subject go um, because I don't, the possibilities are endless in regards to what can be done for mental health. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's not to say, that's that's one small patch that I'm talking about here. Mm. There is a bigger patch of, um, you know, um, those that have been, uh, you were talking about before, um, Uganda and Afghanistan and mm. so forth. Like it's it's a big it's a big topic. Mm. Yeah, so it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. Which is one yeah. of the reasons why I decided to do secrets for share. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so many people who have got something to say that a lot of people don't even know exist. That's right. Yeah. And even your service, I've mentioned it to clients, and they're like, "Oh, mm. that's that's a thing." Yeah. It's like, yes, it yes, is. It is. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. They could really help you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's a, it's again. I think it goes back to that 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 community service, that stigma of community service. Yeah. Of, I'm never going to need need them. So why do I need to know that they exist? That's it. Yeah. 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 So thank mm. you so much, Mel, for agreeing to talk to no, me. No, thank you. Thank you for your time. Yeah. And that was another episode of Secrets We Share. Thank you to Mel, my guest. Thank you to you, the listener, for listening. And thank you so much for continuing to rate and share on everywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget, you can also support us on Patreon with Secrets We Share. If you'd like to share a secret, then please send us a message through the website secretkeepercounselling.com.au. And until next time, stay well. Thank you for listening to Secrets We Share. If you're interested in sharing some of your secrets, please visit our website at secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Keep an ear out for our next episode soon.